Proverbs 27, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Proverbs 27, 12. If you're like most people, chances are pretty good that somewhere at some point in your life you've battled some fears. At some point, if you're like most people or if you're not Superman, um, you've probably battled something. Studies tell us that when children are born, when babies are born, they only have two naturally inborn fears. Falling, heights, falling. And the second one is loud noises. Okay? You don't need to test that out on your babies, just, but just know that's, that's what they're born with. There's something about those two things that, that they react to. But then we start growing up, and all along the way, we start accumulating more things to get afraid of. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, most of you realize that as you're younger, some things started happening that uh, you decided to start becoming afraid of some things. Like, for example, the most obvious one is the dark, because everybody knows that the boogeyman lives in the dark, Right? And, uh, or maybe it's spiders. Don't you just hate fall when you walk around? Maybe it's a little bit dark outside, and you're the tallest one walking, and you don't see that thing, and all of a sudden you, knew, you walk through something. It's not so bad, the web. But hooked to that web somewhere is a little creepy. Or maybe it's thunderstorms. Boom, crash, boom. You go running in, got to get in bed with mom and dad because it's so loud and scary. None of you have, I can see none of you are afraid of any of these things so far. I'm just not, I'm, I'm, I'm swinging and chips are flying, but no trees are going. Maybe bedtime, here's another one. Maybe at bedtime, you had to make sure that the closet door was closed. Because if the door is open, the monster inside there is loose. But if the door is closed, it'll be okay, right? Or... Maybe you're one of those people who, when you went to bed, you never, ever let your arm or your foot hang over. <laughs> Man, because there's a guy underneath there. <laughs> and the worst thing is if you had too much to drink before you went to bed because you're in the middle of the night, you know you had to go. Okay, so you work up the nerve and you jump and run, right? You, you go to the bathroom. You get done going, and you come back, and it's like you pace your steps, run, 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 jump. You don't want to get close to the edge because for me, you know, for me, it was, um, <laughs> I probably spent a year or two when I went to bed, I would pull the covers all the way up over the back of my head because I had seen this sci-fi movie where these aliens came, and they took over people by drilling into the backs of their heads, and I knew that the blanket would protect me. <laughs> I stopped doing that about a month ago. <laughs> or maybe for you, because for some reason, you walk into a bathroom and that shower curtain's closed. Doesn't matter, day or night. You got to check because you just don't know what's going on back. I see elbows in this room. <laughs> there's, there's, do you still check? Some of you still check. I can tell. I still check. And then for me, there's also the furnace. The furnace all these arms going up. I mean, I grew up in Spokane, and every house there has a basement, and the furnace is in the basement, and you see this big machine, and it glows, and it's got a mouth, and it makes noises, and these arms go up reaching into the house, and you don't know where they go or what they're doing there. And I knew what, the, what was really going on, that there was a robot there that was going to come out and get me. Klaatu Barata Nikto. Science fiction fans in the room. Way to go. <laughs> Need to watch that movie, the original, not the remake. 
um, The Day the Earth Stood Still. <laughs> Great movie, classic, real science fiction. Because every one of us has these fears that we kind of gather up and collect as we go along. I think today I want to talk about fear, and we're going to talk about four of life's most common fears. Just as we go along, I don't want you to raise your hands, but I'll ask these rhetorical questions. Think about whether maybe some of these might apply to you, because these are some of the most common fears that adults deal with. Adults deal with. First one is fear of loss, a fear of losing your spouse fear of losing a child, a fear of a financial loss. Maybe you're going to lose a job. You can't hold it together financially. There's your personal circumstances are out of control, and you don't like not being in control, just a fear of loss. Think about it. Have you ever had a time where your attention was too focused on fear of losing something, fear of, fear of loss? Second one, fear of failure. We'd like to do something, but we're afraid to try it because if we try it, it just, we just might not succeed. I'd like to try to smart, start a small group with some of my friends, but maybe they don't want to come. Or maybe I'm going to start up a business, but maybe I'll fail. Or maybe I want to go back to school, but it's kind of scary. Or maybe I want to reach out to somebody. I feel like I should, but I just might mess things up. And I think sometimes people don't step out because they're paralyzed for fear of failure. How many of us do that? Another one, fear of rejection. Uh, you know, guys afraid to ask a girl out on a date because they know she's going to say, no, I have to wash my hair or something crazy like that. <laughs> or a, f- a fear of rejection in a marriage or f- fear that maybe your house, your, your, your spouse, your husband or your wife will leave you. Or, you know, you, you live constantly with this people-pleasing mindset because you want everybody to like you and, and will they like your hairstyle? Will they like your walk? Will they like the way you talk? Will they like your car? Will they like the job you have? Are you important enough to other people? Fear of rejection. And then the fourth one is fear of the unknown. What if one day a doctor tells me some sentence and the word cancer is in the sentence? Or what if that happens to somebody that I love? Or what if I lost my job? Or what if? Or maybe some of you see you live in some kind of a bad situation that maybe is abusive even, and you want to step out of it. But there's as much fear about the unknown of what will it be like, what will happen if I do, as there is about facing the difficult thing. Or, or maybe you have somebody that's close to you that you love, and you see them kind of messed up, and you really want to fix them, but um, you just don't know how, how to go about it. It's just this fear of the unknown. Life, life might be great right now, but... Is there another shoe that's going to drop right square on my head? The unknown, the unknown. Fear of loss, fear of failure, rejection, the unknown. I mean, those four fears, I bet you all of us have done, dealt with at least one of those. Some of us, you know, maybe have dealt with all four. Maybe some of us are dealing with several of those right now. I, I think we can go through life paralyzed sometimes by the fears that we carry. And every bit of fear, no matter how small or big, carries some amount of paralysis with it. Some small amount, at least. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear is not from God, ever. Fear is our spiritual enemy. You know, God, the all-wise, all-powerful, 
the most loving, our Savior. He has not given us a spirit of fear. He hasn't. And yet, some of us, maybe many of us, walk sometimes in life completely consumed by what we're fearing at the moment. And that paralysis and that fear are not something God has given to you or to me. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Because fear is not from God, that's today's message, I quit living in fear. And armed by the Spirit of God, my prayer for you and for me is that we'll quit living in fear. Some people say that fear is the opposite of faith. And I say kind of. But what I, I think that I think that fear is actually faith. But it's faith in the wrong things. What is fear? Fear is placing faith in the what ifs. Think about that. Placing your faith in the what ifs. What if this bad thing happens? Most people don't say, hey, what if this great thing happens? They say, what if this bad thing happens? The only great, hey, what if this great thing happens that people talk about is like winning the lottery, right? By the way, don't, don't play the lottery. It's a waste of resources. It's poor stewardship. And you can still win anyway. Do you think God has to have a ticket for you to win the lottery? If God wants you to win the lottery, you don't need to buy the ticket. I mean, he's not, his, his miracle won't be hampered if you don't spend the buck. I, I, that's a rabbit trail. I'll stay off of rabbit, that, ra- that rabbit trail, except to say just it's a waste of time and resource. Don't, don't spend your money. But most people don't think about the what-if good things. Most of us focus on the what-if bad things. Fear is placing faith in the bad what-ifs. Moses was guilty of this. Moses, uh, you know, God shows up in the form of a burning bush that does not become consumed. And God says, hey, you're my man. I'm going to have you do some things. And um, I'm going to use you to protect my people. And in spite of what Moses was looking at and experiencing, he starts believing the what-ifs. Exodus 4, verse 1, we see Moses start up what I'm going to call the what-if game. Here we go, Moses 4, verse 1. Moses answered and said, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? I would have said that. You would have too, probably. I mean, come on. I mean, uh, in spite of all the miraculous, here he is being really genuine, but he's playing the what-if game with God. God is, is promising these things. That we're talking to the creator of the universe. The bush doesn't burn. And he says, well, what if? What if? God's with him. And he's playing the game that most of us play, the what-if game. What if the economy drops? What if I lose my job? What if I lose my health? What if my spouse cheats on me? What if my... What if my kids gets hurt? What if there's a car wreck? What if I never get married? What if I marry a jerk? What if I can't have kids? What if I have five kids? What if my cat gets pregnant? What if, what if, what if? There are some bad things that can happen to us in life, and fear is placing faith in the what ifs. So I want to ask some questions, um, some important questions. What, why? Why do your what-ifs matter? Why do, they what if, why do your what-ifs matter? Your what-ifs matter because, one, what you fear reveals what you value the most. So, for example, if you fear losing your marriage, it's because you value your marriage. And that's not a bad thing, to value your marriage, right? <laughs> okay? If you fear something happening to your children... It's because you care and value your children. 
Again, it's not a bad thing. I'm just showing you the relationship. If you fear losing your job or something about finances, what you really value is financial security. And that's not a bad thing. It just shows that what you fear reveals what you value the most. And um, why do your what-ifs matter? The second point is, is because what you fear reveals where you trust God the least. What you fear really reveals what you value the most and where you trust God the least. So uh, this might be a bit stretching. I'm in there getting stretched with you. So, for example, after you've done all of the right things that the Lord calls you to do and be, have you done what you should be doing, your due diligence in life, whatever that means, if you're worried about your marriage, it shows that you're not really trusting God with your marriage. If you're worried about your children, there's a connection there between how much you're trusting God with your children. If you're worrying, it's like saying, you know, God, I really don't believe that you're good enough and that you're going to be there for my kids and that you're gonna, you're gonna, your good plans and your good will will be there for them. So here's what I'm going to do. I know you do your part, God, and I'll contribute some worrying to help you out. Let me add, <laughs> let me add some worrying here, God. And, or if you say, you know, you don't trust God with your financial well-being, and so it's like saying, I don't trust God to provide for my needs. Because what you fear reveals what is most important to you and, and where you trust God the least. So in the next few minutes, I just would encourage you to try to be really honest with yourself because nobody hears this but you and God, right? And answer the question, this question. I'm not trusting God with blank. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your future, your health, somebody you love. You have an aging parent that you're struggling with how their care. Be honest with yourself and be honest with your own fear. Just for, for your own sake, I'm not trusting God with that. So how do we face the what-ifs of fear? Number one, acknowledge your fear and choose to trust God. Acknowledge your fear. No matter what it is, make, make a conscious choice to say, I'm going to trust the God of the universe. You don't brush it off and pretend like it's not happening. You don't just walk away from reality somehow. Yeah, okay, there's some risks here, and it's scary, and I'm a little bit afraid. You acknowledge it, but then you say, after I've done what I could do within my power to minimize the risk, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to make a choice. God, I trust you to be faithful. I'm leaning into you now, Lord. David was the anointed king over Israel, but he wasn't king yet, and Saul was the king. And he, Saul was very threatened by David. You can read all about that. I'm not going to spend too much time in, in that back. But Saul orders his men to find and kill David. Now, the modern-day equivalent is John Barack Obama has decided to order. You've threatened him. You're threatening to him, so he's ordered the Navy SEALs to come and find you and kill you. Okay, put your name in that place. The President of the United States has told the Navy SEALs, go kill Jamie. <laughs> go ahead and try and hide, you know. I mean, that's how real this was to David. This was not just um, trash talk. This was the king of the land saying to his best fighting soldiers, go find him and kill him. And what do they do? They're going out. They're, they're, they're going to go and find him. That's their deal. That's how real this, this threat was. So what did David do? Psalm 
56 tells us, verses 2 through 4. My adversaries pursue me all day long. That's the reality of the situation. Every day, night and day, they're coming after him. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I'm afraid, I'm going to pause there for a second. Here's David admitting he's afraid, admitting his fear. I love that honesty. He acknowledges that just sometimes in life, you can get to the place where it's just too much. I'm afraid. It's just, I admit it, it's just too much, and I'm kind of afraid. I'm dealing with some fear here. It's amazing when you admit it out loud to yourself or maybe to somebody you can trust, how much that helps you just to admit that you have a fear issue and that you just need some help. It's just too much. Help me out here. You can do that too. You can say that to God. You know, God, this just feels like it's a little bit too much right now. I'm afraid about losing my kids or I'm afraid about losing my job. So what does David do? He says, when he's afraid, he says, I put my trust in you. By faith, I choose to put my trust in God. Whenever I'm afraid, I make a choice. I choose to put my trust in God, verse 4, whose word I praise in God I trust and am and, and not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I choose to put my, my, my trust in God. He asks that question, what can mere mortals do to him? And uh, I figure that's a great question. Let's ask it because... That's partly what we're fearing here. What can they do to him? What can they do to David? What can the mortal people do? They can kill him. They can capture him. They can torture him. They can imprison him. They can do all that stuff. But David's mindset is shifting here. It's shifting from, from uh, contemporary mortal life. It's shifting to eternal perspective. Even if the worst, what if happens? What can they do to me? He's ultimately trusting God, and he's saying, there's really nothing that they can do eternally. If I trust God with my whole life, my absolute worst what-ifs pale compared to the goodness of God. Way to go, David. So here's something I noticed from these, these experiences. The further I get from God, the more I'm afraid of the what-ifs in this world. And the closer I am to God, the more I trust in him and the less I fear the things of this world. Okay, so we said, how do we face the what-ifs? First one is acknowledge your fear and, and choose to trust God. The second one is seek God until he takes away your fears. Seek him in his word, through prayer, in your relationship with other Christians. Seek after God. Seek him night and day until he takes away your fears. Don't let up. Go after him. David declares that's what he did. Psalm 34, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. You think about that verse for just a minute and meditate on it. On the power that's in that, that verse and in that promise. I sought God and he delivered. He removed. He took them away. There's no fear that holds me hostage anymore. He removed every fear that I have. I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all of my fears. I saw that happen personally. Lisa and I walked through a, a season. And I, you know, I, I've been here now a little over a year, so I can't tell if I've told stories before. Sorry if you've heard this one before. Maybe you haven't heard this. But um, our little girl, Rachel, was, um, how old was she, honey, when, we, when she started having seizures? Can't remember. Five. There's never an age that's acceptable. If that's too young <laughs> to start noticing. And, uh, you know, as a parent, one of the hardest things is seeing your children 
have some sort of a dilemma that you can't fix or do anything about. I mean, I remember watching uh, I, 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 one of our sons um, with pneumonia in the hospital as an infant. And, uh, you know, great doctors, and they do their thing, and you just have to trust them. And you trust the Lord, because as a father, there's nothing I could do to go fix my son's lungs. So we noticed in a couple of different times our daughter Rachel having uh, seizures. And there's lots of different kinds of seizures, but this one was unusual and hard to notice, but it was clearly a seizure. And that can't be a good thing, you know. So what's the first thing that happens is hell starts sending in thunderstorms of all kinds of ideas about what this means, about all kinds of hope that's being drained off, about all kinds of problems that are being let in, about a broken heart, all all these things you hope for for your children. We see these seizures in our little girl, and we can't fix it. We take her to the doctor, and um, we were very quickly escalated you know, from a family, from a pediatrician, and all the way up till pretty soon, we were seeing um, this pediatric neurologist in Bellevue. There shouldn't even be such a thing. A doctor that deals with broken neurological systems in children. It's heartbreaking. And uh, so we went through this succession of doctors who all examined it, and they were all pretty much, you know, flummoxed. Is that such a word? They didn't really have a good handle for what was going on, but what we could see in their faces was concern. We could see it painted in their faces, and they were having to face us down. You know, doctors, they're good. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you the truth and so forth. But we could see they didn't have their arms around this. And um, so we went through some really scary tests. And some of those tests were tests to eliminate really scary scenarios. But you eliminate all those really scary scenarios, you're still left with seizures. And um, over time, they narrowed this down, and they basically said, your daughter has a, has a form of epilepsy. Get used to it. This is going to be her life. This doesn't get cured. doesn't go away. It gets progressively. Other issues happen. And yes, it can affect all parts of life that you care about because um, it's pretty serious. And what, what we did was we sought the Lord. We sought the Lord. And um, um, I'm going to way shorten this because I've got other things to talk about here, but we sought the Lord. And there came a moment where we knew, in that seeking, we knew that we knew that we knew that our daughter had been miraculously healed. I'll give you a real quick, short explanation. When I remember Lisa and Rachel and I sitting down with this neurologist in Bellevue and looking him in the eye, you know, preacher boy and all, saying, we believe our daughter's been healed. And his answer was, well, let me back up. We believe our daughter has been miraculously healed by God. Okay? That was what I was saying. His natural response was, yeah, yeah, of course. You're a religious person. I'm not going to get between you and your God, but get used to this. And I'm a pretty direct communicator. I said, what's it going to take to convince you that she has been miraculously healed? Answer, that doesn't happen in these circumstances. They don't, there is no healing for this. It does not happen. I'm thinking, well, I've, they're, uh, well, I don't know. Um, I said, what will it require of you? And we went around the horn a couple times, and he said, well, basically, if she goes two years 
and never has a seizure in that time, we'll consider her healed. But that isn't going to happen because this is not going to happen. We said, okay. And she had regular exams, and we cooperated with what they said to do. We did the things they said to do. And a year goes by, no seizures. A year and a half goes by, no seizures. 24 months, no seizures. Let's go back. So we go back. He looks at her, does the exams again, the EEGs, and all that kind of the tests they did. They don't look like they did two years ago. And they, she hasn't had any seizures. But this doctor's faith didn't allow for him to declare that she was miraculously healed. We said, what do you need? He says, another six months. I mean, we went through that several times over the course until finally, three years later, he said, she's healed. Can't explain it. Can't explain it. Somewhere buried in our, I'm a pack rabbit. I don't throw stuff away. Somewhere buried are the before and after proofs of a miraculous healing of our daughter's epilepsy and the EEG readings and all that kind of stuff. Somewhere I've got that. But here's what I want to tell you. Three years of facing down something that was really scary and we were not in fear during that time because we sought the Lord and he answered us and he delivered us from all of our fears. I mean, as a parent, we were saying things like, does this mean our daughter won't be able to go swimming when she grows up because what if she's in the lake somewhere and she has a seizure? Does she drown? Can she drive a car? All these things, all these fears. Oh, we sought the Lord and he delivered us from all of our fears. It's amazing. And God could do the very same thing for you and for me. The very same thing. Beth Moore has a story that um, I may not get this completely right, those of you who follow Beth Moore, and I know there's a couple among us. Um, she tells a story about a fear that she was dealing with she had a pretty significant fear of losing her husband. And um, she was talking to the Lord and praying and seeking you know, some sort of um, direction from God about this level of bondage that she maybe felt like she was facing. And, and she felt like she entered into this conversation with the Lord um, where God just started walking with her through this journey, this, 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 this journey together. And he asked her the question, well, if you lose him, what if? What would you do? Her first answer, well, I'd probably cry a lot. And my closest friends would probably saddle up next to me and help me plan the funeral and do some of that stuff. Okay. Then what? Well, I'd probably stay home for a month and I wouldn't get dressed and I'd just cry all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then after a month, what? I'd probably stay home some more and stay not get dressed some more and I'd cry some more and I'd probably spend another month just crying all the time. Okay, then what? Probably another month. I'd be crying, devastated. Okay, that's reasonable. Then what? Well, then at some point, I guess, God, I'd probably start to seek you and you'd be faithfully there and I'd start with your help, learning how to live my life. And God said, exactly. Exactly. You have to ask myself the question, how much time, how much effort, how much lost joy, how much wasted life gets spent? How much peace gets robbed because of fears that don't take us anywhere? 
Um, there's a guy named John Wesley. He was one of the founders of the Methodist church movement. And um, I read a quote by him. I'll share this with you. It's an amazing quote. I never met the man. Obviously, he's been gone a long time. Uh, but here's what he said about fear. He said, I've never known more than 15 minutes of anxiety or fear. Whenever I feel fearful emotions overtaking me, I just close my eyes and thank God that he is still on the throne, reigning over everything, and I take comfort in his control over all the affairs of my life. Whenever I feel fear, I just close my eyes and remind myself, God is on his throne. And you and I can do the same. I've done that before. I've read this, this, this quote years ago. And I've thought about times where I really was concerned. I was in fear about something. And then I, then I had somebody say to me, hey, you realize God's still sitting on his throne? This news does not have God back on his heels. He hasn't fallen off his chair. He's not concerned and afraid that some of these bad things are going to happen to you. God is still on his throne. When you focus on God that way, suddenly somehow God inserts himself between you and your fear. God goes there. And the opposite is, your fear comes between you and God. I just think, God, you are enough for today. You give me everything I need for today. And I say to you, seek after him because he wants to do the same thing for you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Don't accept fear. Don't resign to it. For God has given us a, does not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. But what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Go ahead like Beth Moore did and go down the train of what if. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I lose a child? What if we go bankrupt? What if I lose my job? And listen, I'm going fast. I don't mean to minimize those things for you but go down the trail of the what ifs and you would certainly find yourself in a very difficult season you would you'd find it but what can mortal man do to you when you fully trust yourselves into the hands of God because what you fear the most reveals what you value the most and where you trust God the least for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and of a sound mind what if what if what if well, what if? What if? If you know God and you continue to seek him, he'll sustain you because you really have nothing to fear. The more you know God and fear God in a holy way, the less you have to, to fear on this earth. Satan wants you to live in the bondage of fear. And God wants you to live free of fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's pray. God, we've um, confronted something that's emotionally taxing today to allow to our surface consideration of things that we really don't let go there. We don't let them go there, Lord, because we don't want to think about them. It just, it's hard, it hurts. So Lord, I first and foremost ask for just the sensitivity, sensitivity and the balm of your spirit just to rest upon the ears and the hearts that have heard this, these words today. Because your word tells us that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but instead of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we didn't even develop what those three things actually mean. 
But I ask God for you to, to, to push the truth of power down into our souls, to push the truth of love down into our souls, to push the truth of a sound mind down into our souls today. God, I pray over the fears that may have come with us into this room, and I ask God for them to now be absolutely muzzled in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, for a muzzling of hellish plans that would want to ensnare and detract and discourage and rob hope. And I pray instead, Jesus, for the sprinkling out of power, love, and a sound mind. We reject the things that come from hell and we receive the gifts from heaven. I pray, Lord, too, if there's anybody in this room who walks in fear because they don't have relationship with you, I pray, Lord, for the power of love and a sound mind, Lord, for the courting of your spirit upon them. I pray, Lord, now for us that we would be possessors of peace, possessors of grace, and the recipients, Lord, the people who have received power, love, and a sound mind from their king. In Jesus' name, amen.